This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. Whether intentional or not, the head of leading mall owner GGP stated in an earnings call that Amazon was getting ready to open between 300 and 400 brick-and-mortar bookstores in the coming months. It's an interesting move for a company that has made its name for its online presence. In fact, it seemingly is the reverse of what most brick-and-mortars have been doing the last two decades. Uh, obviously establishing them themselves in communities and then building their online presence. To take a look at this move, a very interesting one, we welcome in Wharton's Dan Raff, who's an associate professor of management, and then also Amanda Nicholson, who is associate dean of undergraduate programs and professor of retail practice at Syracuse University's Whitman School of Management. Amanda, welcome to the show at the outset. Thank you so much. We're having a little gremlins here. We'll get uh, Dan on the line here in just a second. Uh, first, the, the fact, Amanda, that that this announcement was made uh, by GGP kind of took me a little bit off guard. What about you? I think it was a bit of perhaps a bit of a misstep, and in, in, uh, or perhaps an exaggeration. I don't know if. Um, Amazon didn't rush to agree that they were about to open three to four hundred stores, which was, I believe, what the gentleman was referring to. However, I think it's clear that they're definitely looking into the brick and mortar channel. And we do have Dan now on the phone. Dan, welcome. And uh, just give us your uh, initial thoughts when you heard about this. Well, 400 stores is large scale entry entirely in capital letters. Um, it seemed to me unlikely uh, that they were going to start having stores in such a fashion. But it's very, very clear from industry gossip that they are contemplating uh, a rollout of stores, on not on a pop-up sort of basis or just one place in their hometown. It's reasonably well-known who the key executives uh, in the initiative are. There are some hints as to uh, clever um, new technology that's going to go um, into the running of these stores and so forth. So it seems pretty clear they're thinking about it. It's a bigger question why they're thinking about it, but we can talk about that. Well, uh, that, you, that can be the next question. Why do you think they've decided to make this move? Because I said at the top, it's seemingly the reverse uh, of what we've seen uh, in the industry the last couple of decades, brick and mortars then adding internet uh, internet pieces, whereas now we've got an internet company that has been unbelievably successful adding brick and mortars. Well, you know, it may be helpful as a, as a setup if I took a minute or two and described what they have actually done in Seattle. Um, uh, their place is on the edge of the University of Washington campus, uh, which you know, in that part of the Northwest is the, you know, it's the leading university. Um, and it's a, it's a substantial uh, university. Um, there was a Barnes & Noble uh, on the edge of the campus, and their store is on the order of 10% uh, of the floor space of the Barnes & Noble. And so if you were to think 3,000 square feet, something like that, um, that would be the right sort of area. Um, it's on a slightly different fringe of the campus from the um, from the university bookstore, um, and it's a 
considerable distance, like, I don't know, four miles, something like that, from the other big bookstore in the city. So it's pretty clear that the intent is that the clientele be either walk-in from people around the university or people who live in the northern suburbs. Um, uh, no coffee, but benches, Wi-Fi. <laughs> All the book selection is highly curated, and it's very clearly oriented towards local interests. Um, the books are all face out, unlike in ordinary sort of bookstores. I mean, it's clear that there's a lot of marketing um, thought in the background. Some of their proprietary um, product, but the key thing is they're selling the books at online prices. Mm-hmm. That is to say, everything uh, appears to be um, at a discount relative to what it would be in an ordinary bricks and mortar store. Mm-hmm. I guess I should add they're selling uh, some of their their own technology equipment as well, um, the Fire Phones, the Kindles, um, and so forth. Um, so uh, this suggests a couple of thoughts uh, immediately, one of which is it's not obvious that the point of this initiative is bookstores selling yeah. books as opposed to um, selling participation in the Amazon uh, ecosystem. And the other is uh, an industry analyst called Mike Shatskin uh, pointed this out over the weekend. They're in a position um, to to stock uh, and to promote such stores really quite inexpensively. That's actually a a competitive edge relative to new stores mm-hmm. uh, on the part of any bricks and mortar uh, uh, competitor. Amanda, let me, let oh, I'm me sorry. Pick you up at that. Amanda, go ahead. Jump in. Um, I totally agree with Dan. I think um, we uh, we have a tendency to look at retail as though uh, uh, all, all stores are alike, and I don't think Amazon is actually trying to duplicate existing retail. I think um, what Dan described very eloquently is them actually trying to redesign a new kind of store uh, and move into brick and water in a new, utilizing its own technological and data brilliance. Um, they're not a product company, with the exception of some of their products now, which are actually doing pretty well, the fire products, whatever. Mm-hmm. But they are their, their supply chain is extraordinary, and what they've built their name on is how to get stuff to us very inexpensively and very quickly. So and I think that's a big part of what this is about. They've filed all kinds of um, patent applications about new material handling facilities. That they're definitely looking at this in a very creative way. I can't be having a conversation jointly with Amanda, who has deep roots in retailing, <laughs> without pointing out the detail of one of those um, uh, patent applications, yeah. uh, which involves recognizing that who the customers are and their payment information while they're at the shelves and contemplating yeah. products and allowing a cashierless uh, checkout. Right, which would, which would lead perfectly into your point that then they can, if they, if they can achieve all this, which sounds sort of like back to the future, but let's assume they can, um, that cuts down enormously on overhead, enabling them to continue this highly competitive pricing in a brick-and-mortar uh, channel. It's interesting because, uh, Amanda, when the, the story started to come out, obviously the first thought since uh, Amazon has the, the store up in Seattle was, okay, well, obviously this will be competition for Barnes and & Noble and, and other bookstores. I, I don't get the sense that, that that's the case going forward. I think it may well be some competition going forward, but I'm not sure that, that, that 
I, I'm not sure their formula is to provide what Barnes & Noble exactly, is trying yeah. to do. I think they're trying to do something different. As, as Dan said, they're highly curated. That's a very interesting point. And what they really did there is I think it's a test to see if we pick the things that we already know because of our analytics that people are buying, mm -hmm. right, and only those. So we keep our SKU selection relatively narrow and our store relatively small, which is exactly what he described. If we can do that um, and we, 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 we create a nice environment, but it's, 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 it's not a Starbucks on steroids, and, and then we make it cashierless, mm -hmm. and we cut our overhead down, and you can go in, pick up, get in, get out. We're creating a new kind of experience here, which I'm not sure is what Barnes & Noble is doing. So let me add two points to that, one of which is um, that were they, in the course of doing this, able to give a coup de grace to Barnes & Noble, which has um, been appearing uh, uh, troubled uh, in uh, recent months, um, uh, this would surely strike them as a good thing. Mm -hmm. Probably not a primary objective, but surely a good thing. It's you know less pressure uh, on pricing. Mm -hmm. The other point on the cost side is that shipping to individual customer doors um, is a very substantial component of their cost structure, and surely. Uh, uh, is the recipient of an enormous amount of managerial attention. What yep. can they do to cut down on their shipping right. expenses? And if one thing that you can do, even just with books, is to send uh, a bunch of them in large shipments um, to depots yep. rather than uh, shipping uh, in ones and twos and threes to individual customers and you know, induce the customers to come into these depots um, to pick up the books, whether they're picking up books they have individually ordered, or they're simply wandering into the store and seeing books that they might have bought on impulse online and instead buying them on impulse off the shelf. They're ahead of the game in terms of their shipping costs. I think right. that may well be an important component of this. And to the extent that they're eventually um, hoping that they'll be selling um, uh, a much wider variety of merchandise through the stores um, than books, uh, merchandise which may in one way or another uh, uh, be costly to ship, so much the better. One of the other uh, things uh, about that in terms of the shipping that obviously Amazon's been in play with, uh, Amanda, for a while now, is uh, the look into drones. Yeah. And certainly if you have three to 400 stores in various locations across uh, the U.S., uh, certainly you're going to have some people, as you both have alluded to, that will come to that location to get whatever that is that they were looking to get. But certainly it does allow them to be able to, if you get the approval to use drones, to be able to use those drones in communities across the United States. I think that the drone issue is, is a challenging one. And I think that's kind of, I know they're spending a lot of money on lobbying about drones and yeah. also about uh, sales tax, which is another big issue for them. But I, moving on to Dan's point, I think if you look at their experiment in Seattle and look at what they could do, I mean, one issue that they could really look at is uh, something like grocery. So they, yep. they started Amazon Fresh, and that's successful. But Amazon Fresh requires, I think it's like a $300 membership or something like the annual membership. So you're only going for a, a relatively small part of the market here. Mm -hmm. I mean, you really are you're narrowing your segment down. So supposing you took these locations... And uh, as, as, uh, as Dan was saying, and you could, you could ship things where customers can pick up the goods they're ordering online. Yep. Um, 
you don't need your $300 um, annual membership. You can do this with all the technology that you can muster to make it fairly seamless and keep the overheads down. And now you're really challenging the grocery market. I mean, I don't think yeah. it's just a book thing. I think it's more a methodology for, for, for delivery. And I think um, I, I'm not, I, 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 I'm, have to believe they've got something really great up their sleeve here, and they're, they're beginning to put their foot in the water to see how far they can take this. Do they have the advantage, seemingly, and, if, and obviously, if they're talking with, with GGP, then obviously they're looking at, at space in malls uh, mm-hmm. for some of these stores, and certainly we've seen, and we've, I think we've talked to both of you about how the mall has changed over the last few years, and how many malls there are right now that have empty space that they're mm-hmm. looking to fill, and seemingly, Amazon might be the one to fill it with this type of operation that you're referring to. Uh, that, that would, and, and I think that the real estate is relatively is relatively inexpensive at this point in some of these malls. So, so that might make sense. Um, and they can probably get short leases, which would, uh, if this is, has some experimental component to it, would be appealing also. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and they would certainly be able to, at this point, with some of these malls, be able to really get a, a, a nice deal on some of these properties, as you said, because, you know, a lot of these malls have been suffering having large locations empty for, you know, two, three, four, five years at this point. Absolutely. 844 Wharton is the number if you'd like to give us a call and join in the conversation. 844 942 7866. So not only would they be looking at the grocery chain that 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 they could be a, somewhat attacking down the road, uh the the big box locations like BJ's and Costco's, they would certainly be in the mix as a challenge in this as well. I think they definitely would be. I mean, if they did it definitely they would be in the in the mix as a challenge without question. Um I, I think what one has to, Amazon is, an, is a giant and has grown very fast in the last few years, but one has to realize that, to your point, um, online is only just under 9% of all U.S. retail now. And even with fairly aggressive predictions, we're looking at maybe, I don't know, 12% by 2020. There's still reason for people to go out and look at things and touch things. Uh, it is not, online is not single-handedly destroyed people's need to go and look at product and touch it. So that's, that, that's part of the thing they're looking at as well. They know that, you know, how, yeah. how, and how do we do it? And to Dan's point, how do we do it efficiently if we're going to keep these prices down? Uh, we can't be shipping everything in ones and twos to, to me and you and Dan. This, is, this is doesn't work in the end. That's why and, the profit issue is always there. And the other point probably worth considering is that they haven't made this massively large-scale entry yet. We shouldn't lose track of the fact that the one experiment that they have conducted Mm -hmm. so far um, is basically not in a neighborhood of uh, stressed-out, two-career, children (laughs) taken care of uh, families with no time to do anything, so they're really delighted to order everything they possibly can. Um, uh, over the internet, this is this is the the college district, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, where people want to go out in part because they may have tasks, but they also want to run into other people. Right, and we're talking about a large uh, increase in in operational 
setup to be able to do something that we're kind of assuming we think Amazon is going to do going forward. I, I, in some respects, are we, Dan? Are we getting a little ahead of ourselves right now? Uh, oh, I think I think this, I think a lot of what gave legs to the speculation was because it seemed uh, like such a, a radically big step. Um, my strong suspicion is that what set all of this off was that the chief executive of the mall company, um, who's um, probably very far away in in his organizational hierarchy from um, people who are having uh, uh, detailed conversations with clients about specific sites, um, heard that there had been inquiries from Amazon and maybe heard some, some vague things about it. But we have no idea the extent to which um, those conversations were just some Amazon real estate exec having been asked to test the waters with a company that had a lot of malls, uh, which were probably, many of them, uh, struggling to find tenants and so forth. It may just have, have been a feeler to get a sense of what the what the, the real estate market side of this might be if they wanted to proceed in some particular way. Highly, highly contingent speculation. So what you're um, so what you're saying is is that uh, this gentleman doesn't have Jeff Bezos on his speed dial? Uh, I doubt it. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, I, I imagine his call would be taken. Right, he's a very important figure in a fairly concentrated industry, um, but I don't imagine they're they're talking on a weekly basis now. Steve is in Long Island uh, on Long Island in New York uh, with a question. Steve, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? I have actually more more of a comment than okay. a question. Okay. I am a uh, supplier. I'm a publisher of books to Amazon. And as everybody knows, they are a major customer for all publishers. But first comment is about the drones. I fly a couple of drones. They only fly for 20, 25 minutes without any wind resistance. So if if they're trying to make deliveries with drones, it's going to be a very challenging uh, kind of uh, delivery vehicle to use have to fly it out for a few minutes, have it come back and charge it again. But that's not the important thing. With the Amazon stores, anywhere where they open a store uh, in that state, they are now going to have Nexus, which for tax purposes means the state can go after a percentage of their, uh, an income tax for the percentage of the business in that state. And Amazon doesn't want that. No company wants that. Which is obvious. Go ahead. It's it. Yeah, and it's, uh, I know we have, uh, we're in New York, when we had commissioned sales reps go to Washington State to visit Amazon, Washington State nailed us for income tax in Washington. Mm. It's, a, it's a real overreaching problem by the state because there's no federal mandate about this regulation. But Amazon, if they start opening stores in different states, they're going to have to be paying income tax on all these states, Which not I- just sales tax. Steve, thank you very much. Which brings up another quick question or another interesting topic to bring up, Amanda. And I think it was you that mentioned about uh, about the lobbying efforts that Amazon has really increased in recent years. Uh, there's actually an interesting story in the Washington Post the other day about that, about how they've doubled their, their efforts, uh, the investment in lobbying in the recent past. Mm-hmm. And obviously, this is one of the big topics that they're trying to trying to mitigate right now. It's 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 a big issue, and um, as the caller just pointed out so well, there there isn't a, there isn't any real federal um, ruling on this, right? So it's it's very complicated in terms of deciding 
how fair how fair this is, right? How, how mm-hmm. fair it is that some people pay and some people don't, based on whether they have, in, uh, you know, a physical presence here or not or whatever. Um, and, and they're trying to protect smaller online retailers and do all this kind of stuff. But um, it, it, it isn't an even playing field, and I understand why Amazon and other companies are trying to uh, to lobby to make this fairer. And I would and go ahead, Dan. Point was was actually more powerful than the than the discussion um, of this general issue that we've had in the past. As I heard it, his point, he he said um, that what was at risk was not just sales tax in the various state jurisdictions, but corporate income tax mm-hmm. as yep. well. 844-WHARTON is the number to give us a call, 844-942-7866. Now, the other part about this, Amanda, is that obviously with this story getting out, to be able to do 300 to 400 stores, it's not like Amazon can just have this pop up overnight. This is going to be a rather lengthy process to be able to get this done. We're talking probably, I would think, several years to be able to put this type of effort together. Absolutely, and now we don't even. And if they're trying to do it utilizing new technology, and that, that those patents that I looked at were filed in, I think, the fall of 2014. How long that takes before all this happens to make it to make it come true? I mean, if you look at Apple when they started to roll out their stores, um, now they, they their perspective was to do. Um, 110% of a, a customer experience. Every single detail um, was 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 absolutely manically overseen, you know, by the by the CEO of the company at the time. Um, but it took them a long time to perfect a store and to do it well. Yeah. So and and it and they did it deliberately. Um, they integrated downstream so that they could sell their own products and have people be able to actually play and experience them in the best possible environment, but it took them a long time. Now, it's not that books are not quite as the same as selling, you know, $1,000 computers, but it's still something that has to be thought through carefully. Dan, what kind of process are we talking about in your mind? Well, just think about it for a minute. Never mind uh, negotiating all of the leases, but you're talking about physical spaces that need fixtures and fittings, you need staff inside, you need to find those staff, um, get them hired, get them trained, and so forth. Imagining opening 400 stores in a short period of time, you're talking about the D-Day invasion, um, basically. <laughs> I just have a hard time imagining. Right. I mean, the, the, the examples of stores online that have moved to brick and mortar, and there are um, smaller companies that, you know, Warby Parker opened and Birchbox that they they took a long time picking a right spot and getting what their first store launched yeah. they you know, they took considerable pains to do it right to make sure it matched exactly what they'd been trying to convey with their online presence but even even with the fact that they did open that one store and as Dan mentioned you know it's near the University of Washington it's you know it, mm-hmm. it, it it's an interesting neighborhood to be in did in some respects they make a mistake in placing it where they placed it if they had this greater grander view already already in the backs of their minds. I'm not sure it was a mistake. I mean, remember, they're, they're also competing. Barnes & Noble have a whole ton of on-campus on, yeah. uh, on stores. Yeah. So they may have been looking at that market as well to you know, put their foot in that market and see. I bet they frightened Barnes & Noble when that one opened right on, on a campus uh, because Barnes & Noble has been making inroads into that particular field. So I think they, they, they felt that, okay, here's, a, here's an audience that's really good with technology because it's a, it's a um, 
a campus audience, so it tends to be a, above average in, in tech savviness. If we're going to try something out here, as, as Dan said, it's not right on top of other stores. Let's quietly experiment with people who are a little forward thinking and see if they, can, if they like our idea. So then with these stores opening, uh, opening in the future, Dan, then, uh, and they're obviously looking to be in communities, do they, do they still at the same time expand on what they did with the store in Seattle and, and look for other kind of neighborhood spots similar to that and, and expand that out even further? That's exactly what I expect. I expect. I imagine that the the frame of mind uh, touching on every aspect of this project is uh, experimentation. It's taking a core idea of having physical depots mm-hmm. um, and exploring to try to figure out what they what they can do with it. What the most valuable ways of realizing uh, such a, uh, a core idea might be to the company, situated as it is with the sorts of products that it has to, um, to sell and the whole set of margins attached to each sort of products, and the sort of customers who will notice um, their initiatives uh, and respond to them. I imagine they, they have a much longer list of questions than they do of answers at this stage. Mm-hmm. And everything I hear about the company suggests that they're comfortable operating that way. Right. They, you know, they're they're in basically they're in first with a major new technology have been for years, and they've been exploring what to do with it. Mm-hmm. Great to have you both on the show. It's an interesting story, and I'm I'm sure we'll be revisiting it again down the road. Thank you again, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.